0: Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of Psalm chapter 78, verses 17 to 24, and Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday School video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday School lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or its families. Most of us, likely everyone listening to this lesson, at one time or another has been angry at somebody Or angry about something. It's very possible that you may have experienced anger even in the last 24 hours. Research in recent months has revealed that the most commonly felt emotion around the globe today is anger. We see people's anger everywhere and in every country. It is without a doubt our most current pandemic. Anger can Come from a crossword someone spoke to us, being stuck in a traffic jam on a busy day, hitting our thumb with a hammer, or from something someone posted on social media. Last week, we started a series of lessons on hard sayings of the Old Testament. Today, we're going to look at a hard teaching about God's anger or his wrath. Does God get angry? If he does get angry, does his anger change your opinion about the loving God you've heard about? What does God do with his anger? What is its purpose? To look honestly at these questions, we're going to look at two passages today, Psalm chapter 78 and Romans chapter 1. Many Old Testament psalms consist of jubilant praise or desperate petitions to God. Psalm 78 does neither. It is a history sermon preached to a gathered congregation of Jewish worshipers. Psalm 78 is the second longest psalm consisting of 72 verses, only shorter than Psalm 119. The psalm speaks of God's faithfulness to Israel as he miraculously rescued them From Egyptian bondage. The Israelites find themselves asking questions. Would the same God who freed us also meet our needs day by day? Can we trust the God who set us free? Early in the psalm, the psalmist reminds his congregation of God's covenant with Israel. He highlights God's expectation that each generation would pass on to the following generations the statutes of that covenant, Psalm chapter 78, verse 5. The psalmist then reminds the congregation of the miracles God had done for the ancestors in that wonderful event of their escape from Egypt. He concluded his prehistory to our passage for today with God's miraculous provision of water in the middle of the wilderness verses 15 and 16, God had shown himself so powerful, so faithful. How would the Israelites respond to God's faithfulness? To find out, let's begin there in Psalm 78, verses 17 to 24. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob, and his wrath rose against Israel. For they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven." Israel had experienced a series of dramatic moments which God stepped in and miraculously saved his people. The greatest of these moments was the exodus from Egypt as described in Exodus chapter 12, verses 31 to 51. Through a series of 10 plagues that decimated the Egyptians, God had delivered 1 million Israelite slaves from the powerful hand of the Egyptian pharaoh. As the Israelites marched out of Egypt, they soon found themselves with their backs to the sea, surrounded by those same Egyptians who had sent their army to bring Israel back to Egypt. Once again, the God who had set Israel free made a way through the sea for Israel. The water stood up like a wall on both sides, and the Israelites walked through on dry ground. Psalm 78, verse 13. Israel's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land took them more than 100 miles through the Sinai Peninsula, one of the most desolate regions of the world. According to the log of this journey in the books of Exodus and Numbers, The Israelites likely traveled through the mountainous regions of the southern part of the peninsula before heading north through the desert-like plateau. The hot, dry, and rugged terrains of the Sinai offered few resources for travelers. Soon the Israelites found themselves in need great need of water or they would all die in the desert. The same God who had brought the ten plagues set the Israelites free from Egypt, and opened a way through the sea, would again meet their need for water in the desert. Psalm 78 verse 15 says, He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. In spite of God's great miracle of providing water for one million people in the middle of the desert, This generation of Israelites, according to Psalm 78, verse 17, continued to sin against the Most High, rebelling in the wilderness. The name used for God in Psalm 78, verse 17 is God Most High. The title for God dates back to the time of Abram and Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. Melchizedek Blessed Abram with these words, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of the heaven and earth. Genesis chapter 14, verse 19. The one who had created heaven and earth certainly knew where he could find abundant water stored up in the depths of the dry land. And God provided. But water... Alone is not enough to sustain life. The million-plus Israelites also needed food. They could go without water for maybe three days. Without food, maybe 40 days. Undoubtedly, they had some food as they left Egypt, maybe enough for two weeks or possibly a month. If they carried food from Egypt that lasted for, let's say, three weeks and went without food for 40 days... They were now two months out from God's miraculous delivery from, Egypt, from of Israel from Egypt when the crisis of food occurred. Interestingly, according to Exodus chapter sixteen verse one, the grumbling for food began exactly two months after their exodus from Egypt. Have you ever thought about the conversations the Israelites must have had in the desert? It doesn't appear that they prayed to God for his provision of food. Certainly, asking God to provide food is not wrong. So what did they do that was different than asking God? How did they sin? Psalm 78 verse 18 says, They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved willfully translates a Hebrew phrase meaning in their heart. Something was going on in their heart that put God to the test. Even though God had just delivered them from dying of thirst, they did not trust that their God was able to do such a miracle again. The questions they asked are found in Psalm 78 verses 19 and 20. Can God really spread a table in the desert? Can God give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? God answered my prayers before, they seemed to think. But can he do it again? They doubted. They didn't trust him. They didn't put their faith in him. How easy it is for us to do this today, friends. God provided for you before. Can he provide for you again? God healed you before. Can he heal you again? God led you before. Can God lead you again? Can we put our faith, our trust in God today? One commentator said, experiences of God acting to deliver and provide should increase our conviction that God will so act again. When the Israelites tested God with their lack of trust, it brought out God's anger, verse 21, and thus our title for this series, Hard Sayings of the Old Testament. God's anger, however, is not like ours. Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Psalm 78, verse 21 contains three expressions of of anger. First of all, God, it says, was furious. Furious is from the Hebrew word avar. The literal meaning is to overflow as a stream in flood stage may overflow its banks. It pictures God's cup of fury or wrath as overflowing, spilling out to effect judgment on transgressors. Second, God's fire broke out against Jacob. This expression records a result of God's wrath. Interestingly, the tense of the Hebrew verb is passive, literally translated, a fire was kindled. Finally, God's wrath rose. The Hebrew noun for wrath here is also translated elsewhere as nose. The word is used metaphorically here as an expression of anger because of the flaring of the nostrils when one is one becomes angry. God was furious. His fire broke out. His wrath rose. The psalmist makes clear God's anger was aroused because the Israelites did not believe or trust his deliverance. Psalm 78, verse 22. The reference to God's deliverance is telling. It wasn't so much that they didn't think God could deliver them in their new problem, but instead it seems that they were doubting that it was God who had delivered them in the first place. When God had delivered the Israelites through the sea on dry ground in Exodus chapter 14, verse 31 reads, The people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. Now. Two months later, they were doubting in his deliverance in the past. Did Yahweh deliver us, or was it some other God? In God's anger, look what he did. His response in his anger was faithfulness, grace, food. He commanded the skies and opened the doors of heaven and rained down manna for the people to eat. Psalm 78, verses 23 and 24. Take that in for a moment. The faithful response to God's wrath was God's grace. Our lesson for this week now moves to the first century A.D. Rome the metropolitan center of the Western civilization in the time of Paul. God had commissioned Paul to preach the gospel to Gentiles according to Romans chapter one, verse five. And it appears that the recipients of this letter were largely Gentile converts living in Rome, verse 13. Our passage in Romans begins with the same difficult topic we addressed in Psalm 78, the wrath of God. So let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. In the New Testament, the phrase wrath of God often functions as a legal judicial term. It expresses the sentence or punishment to come upon offenders. Wrath, is the punishment felt, experienced, and endured by the guilty party as painful and unwelcome, but also understood as a just sentence for the crime. The wrath of God should not be understood as an unbridled and normless exercise of vengeance, but an indignant response to sin based upon his holy nature we experience God's wrath as a result of sin or disobedience. The good news brought about through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and shared in Romans chapter nine, uh, chapter nine, 5, verse 9, is that those who have been justified by the blood of Jesus are saved from God's wrath through him. More on that in just a minute. To help his Gentile believers understand the big picture, Paul doesn't begin with humanity's sin or God's wrath. Paul reverts back to the reality of creation as God intended it, creation as good. To the world, or we could say to the lost, creation reveals God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so that people are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. From the earliest days of human existence, people refused to recognize God as the creator of all they enjoyed in his creation. They began to suppress the truth, verse 18, about who the creator was. Note that this is not unlike the Israelites who saw God deliver them from Egyptian bondage, but soon began to suppress the truth and wondered who was their true redeemer. After creation, the hearts of humans became so evil that, quote, it grieved God to his heart, Genesis chapter 6, verse 6. However, even the eradication of humanity, except for righteous Noah and his family, brought only temporary reprieve from humanity's evil. With the regeneration of humankind, evil again flourished. The initial evidence of God's wrath, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 24, is that God gave them over. He let them go according to their desire, allowing human freedom to run its course in these wicked persons. Sinners, therefore, experience the wrath of God as the apparently natural consequences of attempting to live at odds with the reality that the Creator exists and that that creatures owe Him their gratitude and their worship. God's wrath is expressed in His refusal to spare sinners from the consequences of their self-destructive folly. So why does God get angry? Primarily, it's because of our rejection of God's offer of intimate relationship. Grieving God and harming ourselves and others. Our disregard for God and the things of God evoke his anger. Unlike human anger, God's anger is righteous and ethically motivated. God's anger does not express his disdain for us, but communicates his strong dislike for sin. It's not an impulsive outburst of emotion. But a response to human disobedience motivated by holy love. God's righteous anger is a part of his good character. It displays his holiness and his hatred towards sin and what sin does to his creation. The evidence of God's anger is the letting go of those who refuse to follow his way to their own demise. But still, God is faithful to his covenant. As with the Israelites, in his anger, he provided bread from heaven, manna for his people in the wilderness. We find the same story in the New Testament. God's wrath, God's letting go, God's faithfulness to the covenant. God provided, once again, bread from heaven. That is Jesus, the bread of life, to nourish the souls of those who repent and believe. Will you receive? Will you believe? Will you put your trust in him today? Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.